X-Ray. Welcome to The Local, your daily dose of hometown news and democracy. I'm Emily Gilliland from Portland, Oregon, and it's Tuesday, April 27th. At X-Ray, we won't let democracy die in the physical distancing. This last year has shown us just how important our activism can be in affecting change. We're passionate about what our community can do, and we're bringing you tangible actions and resources whenever we give you information. So you know not just what's happening, but what to do with it. That's what's powerful about community media. It's about what's happening in your backyard and the things that affect you every day. Help us amplify the voices of changemakers all over Portland so we can keep fighting for a better future. By giving just $15 a month, you can help us champion independent media and bring you programming that reflects the issues you care about. You can become a member at $15 a month by calling 503-233-X-RAY. That's 503-233-9729 or going online at xray.fm slash donate. Being members supported means we rely on our grassroots support to stand up and support us. So please call in now, 503-233-X-RAY. That's 503-233-9729 or go online at xray.fm slash donate. X-Ray. Today, back in the day, in 1953, the U.S. made Soviet pilots an offer they couldn't refuse, $50,000. During the Korean War, the USSR supplied North Korean forces with MiG-15 fighter planes and reportedly pilots to go along with the planes. The MiG was better in most respects than U.N. planes, but intelligence reports suggested dissatisfaction among Soviet pilots. The U.S. Army's Psychologist Warfare Branch came up with Operation Moolah. The plan would give $50,000 to any pilot who defected to South Korea and brought with them a fully functional MiG-15. The first pilot to do so would get $100,000. Even though armistice negotiations had already begun by April 26th, on today's date, U.S. forces broadcasted a radio transmission advertising the offer. There was one defector on September 21, 1953, Lieutenant No Kum Sok. He had defected despite being unaware of Operation Moolah. No one was advised by the CIA to decline the financial reward and instead choose an American college to attend at no charge to him. Fun extra fact, one of No's CIA handlers was Larry Chin, who was arrested in 1985 when it was revealed that he had been one of the most important Chinese communist spies of the Cold War. Today, back in the day in 2018, the Panmunjom Declaration was adopted between North and South Korea. Sixty years after Operation Moolah went into effect, the leaders of North and South Korea took historic steps towards a peaceful future. At the 2018 Inter-Korean Summit, North Korean leader Kim Jong-un and South Korean President Moon Jae-in agreed to, quote, make active efforts to seek the support and cooperation of the international community for the denuclearization of the Korean Peninsula. 
The declaration also called for an official end to the Korean War and led, temporarily, to better relations between the two nations on the peninsula. Currently, though, the outlook is not great for future peace talks as the momentum from the first meeting has largely slowed down. But optimists still still see the declaration as a huge step forward. Today, back in the day in 1792, Captain George Vancouver chose not to discover the Columbia River. George Vancouver, an English captain, was tasked with mapping the Pacific Northwest. Today, back in the day, he sailed right past the mouth of the river and continued north, even though he knew the river emptied into the ocean. Later that week, Vancouver's ship passed by a ship called the Columbia Redaviva, captained by Robert Gray. Gray and Vancouver chatted, and Vancouver said that the small river he had passed wasn't worth worrying about. Gray had his doubts and became the first Euro-American to sail to the river's mouth on May 11, 1792, naming the river after his ship. Today, we'll start with your quick six news headlines, and we have an interview with Candace Avalos, Portland Charter Commissioner and Executive Director of Verde. X-ray. First up, it's time for today's quick six local rundown. On Sunday, Washington wrapped up a historic legislative session. While Oregon's legislative session has been slow going, Washington Democrats passed a slate of major agenda items in just 105 days. This includes a $59 billion operating budget for the next two years. Washington Republicans criticized the budget increase. However, Washington's revenues have bounced back to pre-pandemic levels. And the state also received a wave of federal COVID-19 dollars to fund health programs, rental assistance, and economic recovery. Some programs included in the budget will be funded by a new capital gains tax. This new bill would place a 7% tax on large profits from the sale of stocks and other major investments. Revenue from the tax will fund childcare, wildfire wildfire responses, and social security programs for low-income families. Democrats have long criticized Washington's tax system, and this new capital gains tax is a progressive step forward. Washington also passed two major climate change bills. The first adopts a low-carbon fuel standard, similar to what we have here in Oregon. The second implements a cap-and-trade system to reduce carbon emissions. These bills were championed by Governor Jay Inslee, who made climate change his signature issue. Police reform was another major issue for Washington Democrats, and lawmakers passed over a dozen related bills. Chokeholds and no-knock warrants are now banned. Other excessive uses of force are restricted, and a new state office was established to independently investigate use of force cases. However, a more progressive bill to establish community oversight of police was struck down. Washington also took on federal immigration policy. Lawmakers approved a bill aimed at forcing the closure of Tacoma's privately owned immigrant detention center. The state will also work to fill gaps in emergency response and broadband technology infrastructure. Racial justice advocates mostly praised Washington's equity-focused policies. However, several key demands were not passed. For example, 
lawmakers did not pass a proposal that would have repealed Washington's ban on affirmative action policies. In the end, Washington lawmakers accomplished all of this through remote and socially distanced floor sessions. And now, your daily dose of data. Yesterday, the Oregon Health Authority reported 630 new COVID cases. That brings the state to a total of 181,321 cases since last March. Yesterday, there was one new death. There have been a total of 2,486 deaths. A COVID-19 variant now accounts for most new Oregon cases. Last week, new coronavirus cases rose 22.5%. Most of those cases are, are the more contagious B117 variant of COVID-19. Some scientists say that this variant is also more deadly and more severe than other variants. However, other studies contradict those findings, so right now there is no scientific consensus on the matter. The CDC declared the B117 variant as the dominant strain of COVID-19 in America on April 7th. The daily number of COVID cases in Oregon have been increasing since late March. However, reported deaths have stayed steady and low. This is probably because seniors, one of Oregon's most vulnerable populations, have been widely vaccinated at this point. Zenith Energy is working towards expanding its Northwest Portland oil terminal. Zenith's plan is to operate three railcar platforms in Northwest, transporting oil and tar sands between Portland and Canada. On Friday, the city of Portland removed two potential roadblocks to the expansion project. This shocked environmental and climate activists. After all, in 2016, Portland City Council voted against any new fossil fuel facilities within the city. Zenith, on the other hand, says that doesn't apply since the company originally applied for a permit for the project in 2014. Additionally, the City of Portland has said that Zenith's new facility can only be used for renewable fuels, not fossil fuels. Zenith has already been sued by both the Columbia and Willamette River Keepers over their proposed expansion. Now, Zenith's expansion proposal will go to the Oregon Department of Environmental Quality. Senator Jeff Markley is sponsoring a bill to restrain pharmaceutical drug costs. There are three main points in this bill. One, U.S. drug prices would be set at the median of prices in 11 other wealthy nations. Two, the Department of Health and Human Services would regain the ability to negotiate drug prices under Medicare. Currently, drug manufacturers set drug prices for Medicare. And three, drug makers would face $5 in charges for every dollar they charge above federally set prices. Senator Markley hopes that this bill will be added to the pandemic recovery package that Biden signed on March 11th. Markley said, quote, My goal right now is to make this such a prominent issue that his team feels compelled to address it in the American Families Plan. It is a perfect fit, and this is a great moment for Biden and his team to go bold. Portland Business Journal studied which of Multnomah County's neighborhoods are most popular for home buyers. The report covers all of the homes sold in Multnomah County neighborhoods in the first quarter of 2021. 
Multnomah County had one-third of all the homes sold in the Portland metro area this quarter. And apparently, the pandemic hasn't dampened homebuyers' enthusiasm for the Rose City. The most popular neighborhood was Selwood, Eastmoreland, followed by Foster Powell and Gresham. The neighborhoods with the highest median prices were Knob Hill, Sylvan, and Irvington. However, homes did sell much slower in Multnomah County compared to other counties. And some good news. It's Blazer Night again tonight. This time, Rip City is facing off against the Indianapolis Pacers. Sadly, the players haven't been doing too well. Uh, We've lost our last five games. That means we're currently seventh in the Western Conference, but all that could change tonight. After all, the Blazers have 32 wins under their belts, while the Pacers have only 29. It'll be the first of a string of away games for the Blazers, You can tune in this evening at 4 p.m. to see the Blazers and the Pacers go head-to-head. And that's today's Quick 6 Local Rundown. Candace Avalos ran for city council in 2020. Now we find her on Portland's Charter Review Commission, executive director of Verde, a regular contributor to The Oregonian, and more. Here's Candace with reflections on the past year and what's ahead for her and Portland. The pandemic asked many of us to slow our lives down this year, but Candace Avalos has been busy. A community organizer, Candace ran for city, city council and founded the Black Millennial Movement. She serves on the Portland Charter Commission and chairs Portland's Citizen Review Committee with focus on police accountability and reform. On top of all that, she writes a bi-weekly column for The Oregonian, and it was recently announced that she will be the new executive director for the nonprofit Verde. Here to tell us all about her busy year and her vision for Verde is Candace Avalos. Good morning, Candace. Hi, good morning. How are you all? We're good. Thank you so much for joining us Woo-hoo. today. Yes, uh, tell of course. Us, I'm glad to be here. Tell me a little bit about Verde. Yes, so um, Verde is an organization that serves communities, um, particularly in the Cully neighborhood, by building environmental wealth through social enterprise, outreach, advocacy. And really, it's we're trying to reinvent um, sustainability as an anti-poverty strategy. So we have lots of different um, ways that we engage with the Cully neighborhood, and I'm really excited to continue to grow that work. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, at the as part of your introduction, there was this amazing list of things that you're involved in uh, in helping our community. Is is there a project or accomplishment that you're most proud of from this past year? Oh, there's, you know, a long list. And (laughs) I feel proud of the ways that, you know, the community has really come together to build um, just, I guess, outreach and advocacy on so many different levels. Um, I think that, you know, the Black Millennial Movement is uh, holds a special place in my heart because, you know, that was something that we created in the outcome of last year's um, protests and racial justice uprising um, in the face of George Floyd's murder. And uh, seeing that conviction come down yesterday, you know, we, we have mixed feelings, uh, of mm-hmm. course, um, but it is, it's one of those things where it's like, okay, we're, we're here in Portland building power, building black millennial power, um, and we can see the impact 
of that. So I feel like that is definitely one area that I'm, I'm glad to be a part of. Plus, it just creates uh, an opportunity for community building for us um, as the black community is so small here in Portland. Um, so I feel like that is something that has given me a lot of energy over the last year to deal with all the other things that I've been working on. Um, that's kind of been the thing that has sustained me through it. That's great. It's that's... really it's really neat to see the fruit of your labor sort of come to fruition in a little a small way. Yeah, definitely. So you're so you're you're stepping in as the new executive uh, director at Verde. Uh, what what drew you to, to with 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 so many uh, passions that you that you show in our community? What drew you to to that organization? You know what I love about Verde is that they're really working at the intersection of racial, economic, and environmental justice, and I feel like those are all things that um, not only I have been you know working in those spaces. But um, especially on the environmental justice side, Verde is um, one of the few um, led uh, or sorry, environmental organizations that are led by majority people of color. And I think that's really important here in Oregon that we continue to build on that um, and create an opportunity for um, communities of color to uh, lead on the issue of environmental justice. So I feel like there's just so much there that um, I could grow from as a person and as a leader um, being in this space. And I feel like the way that they can find that intersection, like I'm saying, between those different issues um, is really cool. And they're known for being innovative and, you know, being an organization that can be responsive to what the community needs and what the social situations look like. And so I feel like that gives me an opportunity to um, help them uh, envision what our next, you know, five years are going to look like and how we can grow that impact. We, we had um, a week or two ago uh, guests on to talk about the Environmental Justice Pathways Summit uh, that was uh, held uh, April 9th and 10th um virtually um and so i'm 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 wondering if if you can talk a little bit more about how uh how environmental justice fits into the the different um aspects of of building a a better community absolutely you know i think that the a really good example of where we're going is how the Portland Clean Energy Fund um, came about. Um, because that is something, for those that don't know, it was passed a couple of years ago. Uh, I believe it was 2018. Uh, and that is was an effort by a bunch of coalitions, they being uh, one of the leaders in that effort, to uh, re-envision what it looks like to actually invest in the community and put dollars into the community. Um, and now, you know, the city council just recently approved, you know, that first uh, round of, of grants that are going out. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I feel like that's that's kind of, uh, that's the vision for the future of how can we um, make sure that people are adding, you know, companies are adding uh, funds into these investments. And then how can we drive those into communities of color where, um, you know, people of color are disproportionately affected by our climate crisis. So giving them the opportunity to lead on that and to direct those dollars in a way that 
um, is building a long-term, you know, sustainable future for not just people of color, but for everybody, um, I think is just, that's, that's where we're going. And uh, I think we're, we're leading on that in a lot of ways um, here in Oregon. Mm-hmm. And I feel we have lots of opportunities to continue to put people of color at the front lines of those conversations. We always talk about how, you know, when, when we talk about environmental justice, that frontline communities, right? We want frontline communities to be there. That is what Verde is doing. Um, and so I think that, you know, we have an opportunity to help guide that conversation and, and unite other uh, environmental justice organizations and towards that vision. So your first day on the job hasn't happened yet, but um, do you have any big projects you want to get off the ground right when you start? Yeah, so my first day is this upcoming Monday, and um, we were actually moving offices, and so I've spent um, the last couple of days helping with cleaning up the old office, and it's been <laughs> nice because, you know, starting a new job in the middle of the pandemic is always hard because uh, it's like, okay, it's my first day, I'll be on Zoom, I guess. Um <laughs> So uh, it was nice to have an opportunity to actually meet a bunch of the um, folks at Verde the, the, these last few days. And, um, you know, I think that any good executive director should be coming into a space um, being prepared to listen first um, and, and learn. And, you know, I'm not going to come in and think that I know it all because I absolutely do not. And I want to make sure that I'm spending these, you know, first couple of months just um, on the ground, hearing from the people that have been working in this field and seeing what is it that they're envisioning for our future and then starting to put all of those pieces together and using my you know, skills as someone that can uh, lead a strategic plan and put us, you know, to make those actionable steps towards it. Um, so, you know, I feel I'm very open is my point. Um, I think that I don't have any big overreaching plans yet because I want to spend some time developing that and I think that's important for me to do and to make sure that I'm um, having those people that have been doing the work leading that conversation and helping me through that so that's kind of where I'm I'm coming in a blank slate and um, I think that I, I have a lot of energy obviously for this work and I feel there are going to be so many opportunities for me to learn so much about environmental justice in general um, it's definitely uh, something that you know I I've been in the police accountability space, I've been in the housing space, and now I'm being more intentional about being in this environmental justice space. And so I I have a lot to learn, and I know they'll teach me and guide me through that. So that's kind of where I'm coming from. That's exciting. Now, you you had referenced the Portland Clean Energy Fund, and and Verde has uh, recently received a grant from that fund. What are are the kinds of things that that Verde might, might do with that money? That's a good question that I can't <laughs> tell you I have all the answers to right now. <laughs> um, where That's one of the first things I'm going to want to check in and just see what were the things that led to, you know, what was our application process for that and what were our expectations. So that's one of the first things on my list of like, hey, let's, let me hear what that is because that's coming down the pipe real soon. Um, yeah. This is Julia and Andy, and we're speaking with Candace Avalos, who is the new executive director of the nonprofit Verde. But, Candace, you are also uh, an activist in so many other ways. You were, you're on the, the Citizens Review Committee, um, mm-hmm. and in, in November, Portland voters approved a measure to reform our police oversight process, a measure that you championed. Uh, how close mm-hmm. are we to seeing some of this new, to seeing the new independent oversight board? 
You know, we are taking steps forward. I wouldn't say we're close. I think there's lots of hurdles that we need to overcome. Namely, there's um, some legislation down in Salem that's moving along, and I'm seeing that it is moving forward, which is good, like SB 621, which is going to help us give um, the city the authority to enforce this. Um, we're in the middle of Portland Police uh, Association union contract negotiations, and I know that there's a lot to be negotiated in that contract that's going to affect this too. And, and part of what that legislation is to address that as well. Um, but we, um, Commissioner Hardesty's office, you know, her office was the one that led the charge on this measure. And they're currently uh, recruiting for the people that will fill up the, the commission that's going to create the board essentially. So it's like kind of two steps, right? Um, somebody, uh, this commission of 20 people, they're going to need to put together all the, the code that needs to be written because the, what was approved was a charter amendment. So it was kind of like the structure of framing in the charter. And we did that because um, it was a way to be proactive, knowing that the police union tends to, um, you know, fight against anything that is uh, working towards their accountability. And so being proactive by putting it to the voters first um, was strategic to be able to say, okay, we have voter buy-in, right? Mm -hmm. So now um, let's, there's more incentive to implement the new structure. Um, and so, you know, we're looking at uh, what the timeline is about 18 months to two years for getting this new board up and going. Um, so right now we're at the phase of getting that commission together, um, watching all the legislation that's going to help put all of this in place. And then that commission is going to, you know, me on the CRC side, I'm prepared um, to be, you know, a mentor to this new board because they're going to be looking at us to see, okay, what are the things in the system that is working currently? What are the things that aren't working? What's some research we can do um, across the country and other cities and kind of piecing that all together. So that's kind of where the CRC is going to come in to help in this next step. So we're on the way, lots to, to come, and definitely we want the community, especially, you know, having 81% of voters approve that. Uh, it's important for people to remember that that wasn't the end, right? Checking that box was not the end, <laughs> yeah. and we're going to need all eyes um, to continue to put pressure on the PPA, on the city, to implement what we wanted out of the measure. It's really important work. In, Thank you for doing that. Yes, yes, and and it with with the this guilty ver verdict in the Chauvin trial, what in what ways might that influence the the process of of uh, police oversight in for Portland? Yeah, I mean, I think that you know, yesterday obviously was really historic and pivotal in a lot of ways, and yet it also wasn't enough, right? We know mm -hmm. that. Um, that was just one small symbol in a larger problem that is going to take more structural change, more advocacy. So I think the, what the tone that that trial has set is just that people are ready for accountability. <laughs> I mean, we've been ready. Obviously, the black community has been ready, um, but it's at the level of a national consciousness that um, people are wanting to be involved and they're wanting to see change. That was something last year in, at the height of the protest. I had dozens of people reaching out to us on the CRC. How can we be involved? And uh, actually a bunch of them, uh, community members, joined my work group for the Crowd Control and Use of Force. And we're about to put out a, a report that we've been working on for the last few months on our recommendations based on everything that happened. So it's been really cool to see um, those community members uh, step up and really help us put that together. 
Um, so I think there's a lot of energy that we just need to keep building on that momentum. And I think it really does set the tone for what our expectations are. And, you know, now and you know, we had this measure that got passed, so we're a little bit ahead of the curve. Mm-hmm. Um, and now we can say, okay, this is what people want. Um, here are the structures that we need to implement. And there's momentum to keep that going. Do you think the the Derek Chauvin verdict will have any effect on um – future cases I'm thinking specifically of the man who was shot in Lens Park the other day by police um will it will it have an effect locally on police accountability I think it will and I think a big part of that is again that tone that larger tone that has been set on the national level and that expectation that there is accountability when these things happen um especially when the police kill a a member of our community so I think it's going to I don't I don't know that I could point point like this is the exact you know link that it's going to have because I think it's more um, general than it is specific but again um, it really is about a momentum that has grown across the country and I think here in Portland we're really um, trying to build on that and the community is activated Um, so there's all eyes on Portland police and um, they're definitely gonna. They're they're under higher scrutiny um, more than ever, and I, that's gonna help us make change. Yeah, for sure. You know, I'm 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 thinking of your uh, your getting back to your your this new adventure you're about to embark on as the uh, executive uh, director at Verde, and mm-hmm. and and just wondering. Um, Going from the the work that you've you've done um, uh, in you know a, a, a lot of different areas, um, how does it feel to 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 step into this role where you can focus on this one organization and the work that it does? You know what is most exciting for me about this is that. I have spent the last year doing a lot of things in my off hours. Um, You know, I had my day job at Portland State, which I loved, and I I definitely, I miss them already. I miss my (laughs) students, I miss my colleagues. Um, And uh, I, you know, I really cared about that work because I cared about growing leaders. And um, I spent a lot of my off hours um, in all these committees and all these work groups and these boards. And so now I feel like, this position is giving me an ability to do some of that work in my day job. Mm. Um, So I feel like I have a little more time and energy that I can put towards it. And I'm in a position that I can make actual change, you know, so it's really exciting um, to have uh, to finally be kind of in the world that I feel like I've been in the periphery of and now I'm in it. Um, So I, I know there's a lot to learn. This will be my first time in the nonprofit sector. Um, I have been connecting with uh, executive directors across the country who, you know, there's like support groups and everything where we can talk about, you know, ED issues. And um, I'm excited to connect with that network of people. And uh, again, I have lots to learn, but I feel like I'm bringing with me so much community knowledge and advocacy that will absolutely translate into my work at Vixen. That's great. Well, Thank you again for all of the the work you've done for for our community. How how can people learn more about Verde? 
Yeah, so you can go to verdenorthwestornw.org and check out what we're working on. We're currently hiring for a community engagement coordinator, for example. Um, so uh, to that position is to work with the black community in particular. So would love uh, a, a strong applicant pool for that. Um, and, you know, just being, we're, we're going to be out there. We're going to, I'm definitely going to help bear their work on getting their name out there and getting more people engaged with our work. So just keep an eye on us, follow our social media, um, and stay tuned. All right. Candace Avalos, thank you so much for being here today. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. You got it. Thank you. Thanks to Candace for joining the local and thank you for listening to the local, your hometown in just about 30 minutes. We also appreciate your continued support and joining our spring fun drive. You can donate today by calling 503-233-X-RAY. That's 503-233-9729. Or you can give a donation at xray.fm and click that blue donate button. Thanks for your support. And thank you, Democracy. We'll talk to you tomorrow. X-ray, 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 X-